We're going to be uh, jumping around in the Bible a little bit, so if you've got a Bible, you might want to keep it open on your lap. And if you don't, you might want to get one. We're going to be in Psalm 34 as the, as the launch pad. Psalm 34, verses 4 through 11. The Psalms are just rich, rich promises of God. Uh, Calvin called the Psalms the soul's medicine chest. Every human emotion, every kind of situation is dealt with in one way or another in the Psalms. Psalm 34, beginning with verse 4. I sought the Lord... And he answered me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Father, may your book live for us this morning. May it live in our hearts. May it live in our minds. May it be in our mouths and close at hand. May we believe it. May we really act as though those who fear the Lord lack no good thing. As though the angel of the Lord himself is encamping around us and delivering us who fear you. As though we do not ever need to be ashamed as though we will be delivered from all of our fears. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're like. Teach us to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if I were <clears throat> to ask you this morning uh, what you thought the cardinal sin is, the sin behind every other sin, sort of the the sin that got the whole ball rolling. I think that you're well enough taught, if you thought about it for a little while, that you would answer correctly. And the answer is, of course, pride. A, a stubborn, that, what, what is pride? We talk a lot about pride. And sometimes we talk about it as a good thing, and the Bible almost never does. It's different from dignity, but pride is a problem. Pride is a, a stubborn refusal to acknowledge God as God. It's a refusal to, to bow to his person and his ways. It's a determination to go your own way and to do what you see fit to do and believe what you see fit to believe. But if I were to ask you, what's the cardinal virtue? What is the, the cardinal virtue of the Christian faith, the the virtue that is at the core of almost all of the other virtues which the Christian prizes in his or her life, I wonder what you would answer then. Some might say love, and certainly a case could be made for that. Some might say humility, and a case could be made for that as well. 
But, but the late John Murray, who was professor of theology at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, answered the question this way. Dr. Murray said, the fear of God is the soul of godliness. If we are thinking of the marks of biblical piety, none is more characteristic than the fear of the Lord. Many modern commentators have noted that Christians used to place a lot of emphasis on fearing God, that we wanted to be noticed and to be known for being God-fearing men and God-fearing women. But that emphasis has sort of fallen away in modern times. We have tamed God. We've made him smaller and more manageable. We've decided that we'd rather see him as we want to see him rather than how he has revealed himself to be in his word. And as a consequence, obedience has become kind of an optional thing, an inconsequential thing. And the fear of God has been replaced by other kinds of fears. You're going to fear something in this life. Uh, some of us are, are run by the fear of man. Some of us are run by the fear of ostracization or the fear of seeming different and out of step. Uh, there's something now called FOMO. You know what FOMO stands for? What is it? Fear of missing out. Oh, there might be some good thing I miss out on if I don't, if I don't do this or I don't do that. Um, you're going to fear something. You just are. But I want to tell you this morning that there is a joy to fearing God. It's a source of great strength and it's a source of great power in the life of the Christian. And it pleases God very much when we fear Him. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 6, it speaks of fearing God in the specific context of contemplating the fate of those who heard the gospel, says the book of Hebrews, heard the gospel under Moses, but they did not mix their hearing with faith. And because of that, they were not able to enter God's rest in the promised land, and instead their bodies fell in the desert. And that is a picture of those who do not persevere in their Christian pilgrimage. And we are told in the book of Hebrews to fear that, both as a, a goad to, ca to cause us to keep on the path of our spiritual journey, but also as something else. Paul writes about it in Romans 11 and verse 22 when he says, Behold the kindness and the severity of God. On those, whom he, on those who fell, severity. But towards you, goodness. And what should be the response of those upon whom God has kindness? Upon those whose sin has been forgiven? Well, the psalmist tells us, and this is the first place you can flip, uh, to Psalm 130. And the psalmist tells us in Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, and he says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. In other words, being forgiven by God should cause you to fear. Now, this morning, we're going to look at what has been called 
gospel fear, an appropriate fear, Christian fear. And I'm going to attempt to show you from the Word of God how right and how beautiful it is to have a heart that trembles before God and that trembles before His Word. To have a heart that fears God is a precious thing in His sight. You know, a lot of us think God has things for us to do and that that what our life uh, count what counts in our lives or what our purpose is is to accomplish certain things that's not true God is interested in creating a people with a certain sort of character he wants people of a certain sort because the earth will soon dissolve like snow and the sun forbear to shine but God who called us here below will be forever mine and thine. He he wants, all this is going to go away. Everything you accomplish here, wood, hay, and stubble. The kind of person you become while you're here is what God's interested in. That's why he brings the things into your life that he does, the good and the difficult. And one of the things he wants you to know One of the most important things he wants you to know is how to fear him. So so let's begin by defining what gospel fear is. What is Christian fear? And the question is not as simple as it sounds because the Bible talks about fear in two ways. We're going to see in a few minutes in Exodus chapter 20, in the same sentence it talks about fear in two different ways. One of those ways is not appropriate fear for the Christian. That kind of fear was labeled by the Reformers and by the Puritans as servile fear. Servile fear. It's the fear that the demons know as they contemplate God and they shudder, as the book of James tells us. It's the kind of fear that the unbeliever knows as he contemplates the wrath and the judgment of God, but it doesn't cause him to seek God out and seek forgiveness or change and amend his life. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 16, it tells us that the peoples of the earth cry out to the rocks and to the mountains and they say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I used to have a dog, a Brittany Spaniel. Her name was Jenny. This was a mentally ill dog. This dog was nuts. And uh, she was also an unregenerate reprobate dog. And she would behave when I was at home. But if I wasn't looking or if she thinks she could get away with something, uh, she, she did wicked things. And when I come home, it's the tail between the legs, it's the head down, it's the, yes, master, yes, master, whatever you say, master. When I'm not looking, she's up on the table stealing cookies off the table. I've got a good dog now. I've got a pit bull and that dog... All I had to do, there was, when we first got her, I left a a loaf of bread up on the kitchen counter, and when I got there the next morning, the bread was gone, and the bag was on the floor, and I picked that bag up, and I shook it in her face, and I bopped her on the head, and I said, no, you don't ever do that. I could leave steak up on the counter now. That dog wouldn't, I could walk away for all day and leave a steak up on the counter, and that dog would never touch it now. She's a good dog, but I, boy, that last one, whoo, she was evil. She feared me. She would do what I said. 
as long as I was there watching her. But what was in her heart, what was in her little mind was the minute he leaves, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so her fear of me was a servile kind of fear. When the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear, as it does in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 18, that's the kind of fear that we're talking about, that servile fear. Those who are born again should never fear God's wrath, should never fear God's judgment, because it will not fall on us. And it's actually an affront to God for the Christian to fear Him in this way. Because what it's saying to God is, I don't believe what your word says about you. I think you might actually be mean. I think you might actually be a God who goes back on his promises and can't be trusted. Arthur W. Pink put it this way. The fear of God, which is evil in a Christian, is that servile bondage which produces a distrustful attitude and kills affection for him and regards him as a hateful tyrant. This is the kind of fear that the demons have. The sort of fear that is appropriate for you and me as children of God, as believers, has been called filial fear. And filios is the, is the Greek word for, or the Latin word rather, for son. Uh, as a son fears his father. It says in Hebrews, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Filial fear is a holy inclination of the heart, which is generated by God in the hearts of his children. And those who fear God exhibit that fear in three ways. First, they have a profound reverence for God. They hold God in such awe and they are so enthralled with his holy majesty that they can rightly be said to tremble before him and to tremble before his word. As they contemplate God's judgments and as they contemplate his mercies, as they contemplate his providences, his wisdom, his power, what arises from deep within them is, is something that is wonderful. They fall on their faces and they cry out about the holiness of God. They would never treat the name of God flippantly. They would assign characteristics or actions to God. They would never, rather, assign characteristics or actions to God which are beneath Him. You know, I don't know if you remember a while back, it's been several years, I keep getting older and I keep thinking, well, that just happened day before yesterday and I realize it was 20 years ago. But, but uh, for a while on like the Discovery Channel and some of these other channels, they had this whole thing about people who built choppers, motorcycles, right? And so you started getting introduced to like the Orange County chopper guys up in New York and Jesse James and all these other guys. And, and of course, if you're gonna do choppers, you're gonna end up in Sturgis. And so there, then there ended up being a lot of shows about Sturgis uh, during the, the motorcycle rally. And, and there, all the chopper builders were there trying to sell their stuff. And, uh, and uh, we, we actually had our shaved ice stand right behind Eddie Trotta, if you know who that is. And uh, he bought snow cones from us. He wasn't a very nice guy. And uh, Jesse James and all these other people were there. And, um, 
I remember one time watching one of these TV shows and they had one of these street preachers that would show up for the rally and they were interviewing him and he said this, if God was here, he'd ride a Harley. Well, I looked at my congregation and I said, God is here and he's not riding a Harley. I'm tempted to say what he's riding, but I don't want to make Dan upset. So, um, the, the, to say, you know, if God was here, he'd ride a Harley. First of all, that implies God's not here and God's everywhere. And second of all, that he's small enough, God the Father is small enough, who fills the whole universe and measures the heavens with the span of his hand, to hop on a Harley. That's a small God. That's a small God. The, this profound reverence for God makes a person careful about things like that. It makes them careful, and that's the second point, it makes them careful not to displease God. It makes them careful to take great pains to please God in all things. And evil is shunned. Unbelief is shunned. On the other side, what happens is that you come to the place where pleasing God is what matters to you most. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, where he says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade men. So for Paul, one of the motivating forces in his evangelism and missions was the fear of the Lord. A healthy, beautiful fear of the Lord. And you think about that for a minute. What could make a man abandon all thoughts of personal safety let alone comfort and ease, to go out and be jailed, beaten, whipped, stoned, shipwrecked, hungry, cold, sleepless, exhausted, and completely unappreciated, often by the people that he led to Christ himself. Well, he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, he says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. Paul feared the Lord. And because he feared the Lord, no price was too high for him to pay to obey the Lord, and so it should be with us. You know, one of the glories of Presbyterian history is, is to know the stories of men like John Knox, who went head-to-head -head with Mary, Queen of Scots, over and over again in the course of years, and she was doing everything she could to try and kill him, crush the Reformation, and bring Roman Catholicism back to Scotland. And very often, he was the only thing, he and his words were the only thing standing in her way. And people asked him, how could you go face to face with that woman? Weren't you afraid? And John Knox said, no. I fear the Lord so much, I don't fear the face of any other man or woman on this earth. Thirdly, the one who fears the Lord puts all confidence in God and no confidence in himself or herself. This person recognizes himself as one who is naturally prone to fail, to be weak, to give in to temptation, or just to lack wisdom, to not be able to think clearly and carefully about spiritual things, that, we're, that we are such that we can be deceived. We can be deceived by sin. We can be deceived by the subtlety of Satan. And there is to be a fearsome distrust of yourself. There's a marvelous verse in Exodus chapter 20 that puts 
two kinds of fear, servile fear and filial fear, side by side. If you've got your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20. That one's an easy one to remember, 2020. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20. This is when the Ten Commandments are given and they're on the mountain and it's smoke and fire and darkness and lightning and earthquakes and blaring trumpet sounds and everybody's terrified. And, and this is what Moses says to the people. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you so that you may not sin. Do not fear. God has come here so that you can fear, so that you won't fall into sin. What is that? Don't fear like a reprobate fears, like an unbeliever fears, but fear like a child of God fears. Fear being on the wrong side of His majesty and failing Him and displeasing Him. And that wasn't a lesson that many of them took to heart, unfortunately. Well, why then should we fear the Lord? Well, the Scriptures give us several reasons. First of all, and this is where we're going to start flipping, we should fear the Lord because His power is made manifest, especially in nature. Turn to the book of Jeremiah. It's just go Psalms, and then after that, Proverbs, and then you start getting into the prophets. Isaiah is the first prophet. Jeremiah is right after that. Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 22. Jeremiah 5, 22. Do you not fear me, declares the Lord. Do you not tremble before me? I placed the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and they have gone away. So God says, why should you fear? Well, he says, I'm the one that bottled up the ocean. You ever felt the power of the ocean? You ever felt them? I, I can remember, I'd, I'd never seen the ocean as, a, as an adult. I saw it as like a toddler, and I didn't really know what was going on. And I remember going to San Diego, California, and sitting on the beach on Coronado Island. And you look and you see the giant freighters coming from Asia, so big they're like a, as long as a skyscraper turned on end. And you realize that the next thing, if I got in the water and started swimming, the next thing is Japan, thousands and thousands of miles away. And that along that journey, the waters would be so deep that you could drop a bowling ball in the water at some places, and it would take 10 or 15 minutes to fall to the bottom. And you realize the massive power of those waves as they get churned up and stirred up and how easily someone could be swept out to sea in the right conditions. And you think to yourself, this is so big. And the creatures that live in it are so big that some of them are so dangerous. And God just goes, yeah, I made that. It's like my little fishbowl. I put the sand around it. And I said, this is as far as the ocean gets to go today. And that's it. Have you ever contemplated, for instance, the vastness of outer space? 
There was a great movie a few years ago with Tom Hanks. It was about the Apollo mission. And uh, the computer had failed. And the character that he plays, this happened in real life, uh, decided to manually re-enter the spacecraft into the Earth's atmosphere. And it was a very tricky thing because if you hit it at too steep an angle, you would be going too fast and you would burn up. And if you hit the atmosphere at too shallow an angle, you would just bounce off and be flung into the endless darkness of outer space where you would just tumble forever until you died of starvation and cold, and then your body would just float through the, float through the universe forever. And it's terrifying when you think about that. Those great distances, that great emptiness, the darkness, the intense cold, the terrific heat, and then to realize that God is far, far larger and far, far more powerful than all of that. That he is the one who, it says in Isaiah, who measures the heavens with the span of his hand. In other words, this is in Hebrew understanding the span of a man's hand. From thumb tip to pinky tip. And the whole universe, we don't even know where the edges of it are yet. The whole universe. God says, yeah, it's about a hand's width for me. I can just hold it in my hand. That he is the master and the creator of all of that. And we look at what he has created and are terrified. What is it to be the creator? What is it to come face to face with the creator? You should tremble before him. He is greatly to be feared. Thirdly, we should fear the Lord because of his goodness. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days, says Hosea chapter 3 and verse 5. Why should we fear the Lord's goodness? Well, because when we see ourselves in light of God's word, we realize all that he's done for us, and it should put us in mind of the fact that we did not deserve one iota of it. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. God's goodness often fills us with amazement, and amazement has in it an element of fear. We are astonished at the Lord's gracious dealings with us. And we say to him, why hast thou been so good to me for so many years in such a multitude of forms? Why hast thou manifested so much mercy and tenderness towards me? Thou hast treated me as if I had never grieved or offended thee. Thou hast been as good to me as if I had deserved great blessings at thy hand. Hast thou paid me wages like a hired servant? Thou wouldst never have given me so much sweetness and so much love as thou hast lavished now upon me, though I was once a prodigal and a wanderer far from thee. O oh God, thy love is like the sun. I cannot gaze upon it. Its brightness would blind my eyes. I fear because of thy goodness." I love that. I fear because of thy goodness. Thirdly, we should fear the Lord because of his judgments. We should fear God because of his judgments. Psalm 119 and verse 120. Psalm 119 is that great big long one that goes through every letter in the Hebrew alphabet and each section starts with that letter. Somebody worked really hard to write that psalm. Psalm 119 and verse 120, it says, My flesh trembles for fear of you, 
and I am afraid of your judgments. I am afraid of your judgments. Not, not because as a Christian, his judgments will fall on you. They won't. But because as a sinful human being, they ought to. By rights, that you deserve to have his judgments fall upon you, and yet you have been spared. You know, there's a phrase that we use sometimes, there but for the grace of God go I. And it's so often used in a snide or a flippant or a, a light fashion to implicitly express the perceived superiority that I might have over another person. But have you ever stopped to think about the truth of that statement? You see some figure who is like you, and they are utterly ruined by their sin. Their reputation is destroyed, their life blows up, and you realize that you struggle with that sin. And you tremble. You say, I need to beat that sin. Because I look at what happened to this person, and I go, there but for the grace of God go I. Have you ever looked upon someone whose life is just absolutely ravaged by a sin and realized that the seeds of that sin are within your own breast? And that you could have been that person? That you would have been that person had God not protected you? If he had ceased to uphold you, you would fall headlong into the muck and the mire? Have you ever shuddered and said, there but for the grace of God go I? You know, Romans chapter 9, which is a favorite chapter of some and not a favorite chapter of others in here, and I'm aware of that, but we're going to read it anyway a little bit. I'm not doing it to rub anybody's nose in anything, but here's what the Word of God says. Romans chapter 9, verses 15 through 24. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. But you will say to me, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. For indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. How far do I need to go? Verse 24. I've gone past it. Uh, listen to what J. Gresham Machen says. Even the Christian must fear God, but it is another kind of fear. 
It is a fear rather of what might have been than what is. It is a fear of what would come were we not in Christ. Without such fear, there can be no true love, for love of the Savior is proportioned to one's horror of that from which the man has been saved. And how strong are the lives that are suffused with such love. They are lives brave, not because the realities of life have been ignored, but because they have first been faced. Lives that are founded upon the solid foundation of God's grace. May such lives be ours. Finally, we should fear God because of his providences. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When God in his providence brings a man low, a woman low, and then raises that person up again, it is so he will be feared. When in his providence he gives us near misses and we see how bad something could have been but wasn't, it is so that he will be feared. When we, my wife and I were just married, we lived in an apartment in Columbia, Missouri, and our neighbor two doors down was a single mom, and she had a toddler at that time named Jesse. He was just a delightful little boy. And they were, Nancy and Jesse were over at our apartment one day, and I think Jesse had gotten a piece of hard candy or something. And um, all of a sudden, he couldn't breathe and he couldn't speak. And I realized first what was happening. I don't think anybody else kind of, you know, we were talking to each other and he was doing his own thing. So the attention wasn't on him and I saw that and I jumped up and I just very quickly did the Heimlich maneuver and out pops a Jolly Rancher or whatever it was. And he was like fine after that. It wasn't like traumatic for him, but it was for his mom. And she just kind of sat there for a minute and then she started shaking after a minute, after it kind of hit her what had happened, and that for that brief instant, her son's life was in danger, and that um, she hadn't seen it. And that even if she had seen it, maybe she wouldn't have known what to do. And, and then you think about, well, that could have happened when she was in the kitchen and he was in the living room. Could have happened when he was in his bedroom. And she trembled. And I trembled for her and with her. And that stayed with me when my own children were small. I used to think, what if I'm driving down the highway and one of them's in the back in a car seat and they've got something and they start choking? Will I know it? Will I be able to get over in time? Will I be able to do the right thing about it? And then you realize, okay, I can live my life consumed by this fear. Or I can trust God and his providence. He's going to care for me and for my family. But when you see how bad it could have been, and you realize he spared me. He spared my child. It makes you tremble. 
It makes you grateful to have it. This should cause us to cling to God in reverence and in holy fear. Psalm 103 and verse 13, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Father, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. For you are my rock and my redeemer. If anything this morning has been said which is good and helpful and true and serves to build up your people, let it be forgotten, or remembered rather. And if anything I've said this morning is wrong or unhelpful, let it be quickly forgotten. Most of all, Lord, transform us from one degree of glory into another, from a lesser to a greater, so that we may shine with your light among the nations. In Jesus' name we pray.